I still have no idea what I'm doing, but I have a better idea of the cluelessness. And that's just imposter syndrome. You're not really meant to be doing what you're doing and you're not good enough. But with the MVP story, I thought, you know what, if you're going to get this thing made, you're going to have to do it on a shoestring and you're going to probably have to do it yourself. So why don't you just go for it? And, and I'm glad I did. Is that much of a, that's not much of a change for you, right? My name is Kerry Kite. I used to load bombs in the Air Force, and now I'm a writer, a filmmaker, and an entrepreneur. Through using the post 9-11 GI Bill to go to college, working hourly jobs to pay the bills, and freelancing my way into a career, I've studied what it takes to successfully transition from service to civilian. And that study has become a conversation. On this podcast, I speak to other veterans, successful artists and entrepreneurs about their transition, what they did well, where they failed, what they learned, and most importantly, how they applied their skills. Episode 69 features Army Special Forces veteran Nate Boyer, one of the co-founders of Merging Vets and Players, a nonprofit that helps both professional athletes and military veterans transition into the next phase of their life after taking off the uniform. He also co-wrote, directed, and starred in MVP, a narrative feature film dramatizing the founding of the organization. Welcome. This is Veteran Made. All right, we are live. Nate Boyer, welcome back to Veteran Made. Thank you so much, brother. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely, man. Uh, yeah, first uh, first repeat guest, which is fun. Uh, spoke to you about uh, spoke to you with the team on on um, a film a couple of years ago, and uh, and uh, that was a lot of fun. So I'm excited to have you back to chat chat about about your film from last year, uh, MVP. For for those that who don't know who you are. Could you give us just a, a, a brief primer on, on who you are and, and, and what you do? And we'll jump into it. Yeah, I, I uh, was in the Army Special Forces for about 10 years and then went back to college at uh, the University of Texas and uh, walked on the football team there. And then after football was over, started working in the film and TV world. So I've been doing mostly uh, film and television projects since then. Yeah, that's awesome. What uh, so kind of jumping right into to film and TV? Uh, you, you know, you you done some work acting and and taking acting classes and and all that stuff, and then spent time in front of the camera. And then for for MVP, you jumped you jumped you know onto the script, you know, co writing the script and then and directing the film yourself. What what was that transition like for you to have spent time around around directors and writers and kind of, you know, working in front of the camera and working for some of those folks and then deciding to take that on yourself. Like what was, what was the transition like for you um, to, to make that jump? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I always found it super interesting. I honestly didn't think I would understand how it works enough. I wouldn't, I didn't have, <laughs> I guess the belief that I would be able to uh, figure it out early on. It just seemed so technical. Um, you know, especially something like directing and, and writing, obviously, in a sense is too, it's very structured and, and all that. But, uh, yeah, after reading enough and then just starting to give it a try on the writing side, I started to feel a little more confident once I understood like the elements of the story, especially like in a, in a feature film format, and what beats need to be hit, what relationships need to be earned in moments and all that stuff. And like how to do that, and not to say that I'm any expert by any means. I have, I still have no idea what I'm doing, but uh, I, you know, I have a better idea uh, of the cluelessness that I'm entering into, uh, because most people I think struggle with that too, and that's just that's that's a common thing with humans, not just the uh, people in film and television. You know that imposter syndrome and feeling like you're not really meant to 
be doing what you're doing and you're, you're, like, well, you're not good enough for the, for the responsibility or whatever it is. But um, with the MVP story, I mean, being in it so close to home and about super people that I connect with on a very deep level, two characters, um, I just eventually thought, you know what? If you're going to get this thing made, you're going to have to do it on a shoestring and, and you're going to probably have to do it yourself. So why don't you just go for it? And, and then I did. And, and I'm glad I did. Yeah, no doubt. The imposter syndrome thing is so funny because I, I remember early in my creative career and transitioning out of the military, obviously I had that imposter syndrome myself. And, and I, I naively thought that kind of once you defeat imposter syndrome once or twice, then you'll get into a rhythm and you'll get into a groove and you'll build some some momentum and have some consistency and you won't you won't actually encounter uh, that imposter syndrome that imposter self ever again and uh, you know uh, root, root awakening there as as it rears its ugly head uh, more often than we would like even even after we right. started some success absolutely yeah no it, it's never going to go away that voice in your head's never going to go away it's always going to be there but uh, you know yeah. as you I think as you grow you learn how to manage it and uh, maybe acknowledge it, but not necessarily listen to it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Observe it. Don't, don't let it, don't let it get to you. What was the breakdown for you in terms of, did you read any of the, like, you know, Blake Snyder's save the cat or Robert McKee's story, or did you just read other screenplays? And that's, and that's where you kind of learn the craft. Mostly just read other screenplays. I mean, I definitely studied at some level, yeah, that structure and, and sort of what beats need to be hit, what needs to be hap- happening by page X. Um, but also I had really, really good mentors. Um, I, I had the opportunity to become good friends with and, and work with Braden Aftergood for about eight years now. And, and Braden was the head of feature films at Film 44, which is Peter Berg's production company. And I interned there when I first got done with college. And, you know, Pete did Lone Survivor and Friday Night Lights and a lot of football and military-related content. And then uh, Braden has since partnered with Sylvester Stallone, and he runs uh, Balboa Productions. And so they sort of helped shepherd this project, and Braden's always been there for notes and thoughts and ideas. And then uh, another guy named, uh, a good friend named Jordan Levin, who Jordan, you know, he, he was the guy that, you know, greenlit shows like, Dawson's Creek and One Tree Hill back in the day at the WB, yeah. and he's worked in in uh, you know, he's worked in in, in television uh, and content creation for quite a while. He was the chief content officer of the NFL when I actually met him. He also went to Texas and he helped with the script quite a bit going through it. And obviously, I co-wrote it with another veteran, Garrett uh, Jones, and and then just had just a lot of people along the way that kind of provided some notes and ideas and including the actors that were in the movie. So I think that, that if you're willing to take notes <laughs> and if somebody gives you, if you ever get the same note more than once, you should probably take it. I think uh, those are, those are huge when you're starting out trying to do something like this. It's just um, understand that there's people that have been there before. And while they may not be better equipped to do what you're trying to do, they can certainly help you uh, make it the best it can possibly be. So uh, staying open to, Criticism and encouragement and um, notes and all that stuff is is very important. Yeah, I mean, even if even if 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 you're getting the same note or at least the same 
section is getting notes, even if the notes themselves aren't necessarily the solve that you'll move forward with, it's still, it's good to know that, oh, that beat's not quite working, or there's something about that scene that isn't quite working, or there's something about the placement of that in the story that, that it needs a second or a third look. Um, right. Exactly. What, um, what, one of the things that I've just kind of like noticed observing your arc is walked on at Texas, you left football and went into internships. That's something that a lot of people, a lot of military veterans get out of the military, kind of get out of these hierarchies that we've scaled at whatever level it might be. Um, you know, NCO or senior NCO or, you know, officer, whatever, what, what have you. Um, and, and we, we might tend to be scared to go back down to the bottom of the totem pole, so to speak, and, and kind of put ourselves in that position to, to learn at the bottom of the rung, the bottom rung of the ladder. Um, is that something that you intentionally did? Is that something that you were comfortable or uncomfortable doing the, these times that you've done it? Or is that just something you just kind of jumped into? Yeah, I mean, that's something I tell people all the time. You know, don't be afraid to start in the mailroom because, I mean, you kind of you kind of have to. You're going to earn respect that way for yourself and from, you know, other people. But you're also just going to learn more generally about how the business, the industry, the company works, like whatever you're diving into. Um, you're probably going to get plucked out of there sooner than most if you're doing a good job and, you know, and then especially – you know, being from the veteran community, like people understand and learn your story, like they want to help you out. But you've got to, yeah, you have to just do that. You have to do that internship. Um, and I think a lot of people, a lot of vets sort of shy away from that because the idea of, you know, moving up, moving up the chain in, in the military or even in another job and then have it, yeah, start all over from the very bottom they think I think they get stuck in their head that like well that means they're just you know they're at the very bottom of life again or something and it right. does no correlation to that and it doesn't uh, and and like I said like there's a lot of value in starting down there too but also if you're you know if you're hustling and doing the right things like you know what the right things are at this point you're gonna elevate out of there quick you just gotta suck it up for a little bit so something of very few people seem to be cool with, but it's just, it is what it is. Like, especially if you're doing something competitive and challenging. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's funny. It's one of those things where like in, in the military, you, you work your way up the hierarchy at a certain pace, right? Like there's, you know, time and service. And obviously as you get up to senior NCO or senior officer ranks, there's, you know, boards and, and obviously various different meritocratic, I put that in quotes, um, aspects of some of those promotions, but, but right. really like in the civilian world, it is, it is more meritocratic and you're able to, you know, kind of pr prove yourself. And I wonder if, I wonder if us vets don't often kind of realize that quick enough and, and realize that, you know, once you're in that mailroom, you can work yourself with that work ethic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. I mean, we, yeah, we do come from a place where oftentimes, you know, those that are promoted alongside us, they simply got promoted because they didn't get a DUI or something stupid didn't happen. And it's like, it's a little different in the, it's very, not a little bit different. It's very different in the civilian world as far as, you know, jobs go. Not all jobs, but um, I guess probably some government jobs and union type jobs are maybe somewhat similar in that respect. But otherwise, 
uh, in a lot of other industries, it's like, it is, it is based on merit. So yeah, that's important to, it's important to remember. Yeah, definitely. And, and it's, you know, thinking about, I remember we had spoke when we spoke last time about film sets and, and being on, on a film set and, you know, you know, uh, it's not exactly like deploying, right. But if you're going on location to shoot something, you have all these different departments, different people coming together. You got, yeah. you've got camera, you've got the ADs, you've got the UPM, you know, that's at the talk. Right. And you've got, uh, the, uh, talent, you've got all these different kind of people coming together, which is very similar to, you know, a a, a, a deployed or, or TDY kind of military operation. What was it like to bring, to bring athletes and military together and how, how intentional were you on that set of, of, of not, I don't want to say representation in, in like a shallow way as if it's like just representation, but actually bringing these groups of people together to, to make something and how did it almost kind of like prove your MVP's thesis of, of the similarities between athletes and military? Yeah, I think in a lot of ways it did. I mean, you know, most of that crew, most of that crew and most of the cast, honestly, too, were veterans and a lot of athletes as well. And it, it's not like there was definitely a concerted effort to make sure we had a lot of vets and athletes working on the project. But I wasn't boxing out anybody that wasn't at, at, by any means. I mean, the department heads, for instance, only one of our department heads was not a veteran. But the reason... I hired him. He was one of my first hires on the project because I've worked with him before. I trust him. Uh, I know he brings a certain amount of respect to the, to, you know, any project he works on, but also like he understood the story. Like he understood, uh, I, I just, he, he'd known about it since 2018. So for two years, you know, we sort of discussed it and it was great. Yeah, and he was the only department head that wasn't a vet on the, on the whole project. And, as far as casting went, I really wanted to try to maintain authenticity. So it was making sure that at least all the vets, all the, the veteran characters in the story are getting a first look by vets to play those roles. And I ended up casting it that way, that, that it was all veterans playing the, playing those, those veterans in the film. And then the athletes, you know, so many of them, they were playing versions of themselves from Tony Gonzalez to Randy Couture to, you know, to, to Jake Laser to, to Jared Bunch and, and uh, you know, Strahan and Howie with the, with the uh, cameo. Um, yeah. It was just, it was awesome to have, when it started there and people saw how we were trying to make that, try, trying to make this film like as authentic as possible, then you get people like Wiz Khalifa who gives you a song because he just right. is like, his parents, his parents were vets and he was like, man, I just want to, I just want to help out too. It's like, okay, <laughs> go for it, please. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll take it, sir. Thank you. Thank you very, yeah, exactly. thank you very much. Yeah. It's funny. I, did, I was watching the film. I actually did not know that Randy Couture was, was a vet. Um, was it, was he, yeah. the character was speaking from his own personal experience, right? Yep. Exactly. Yeah. He was a vet. He was in the army for, I think six years. Yeah. I think what, what you did such a great job of capturing in the film and kind of his specific uh, little mini monologue there in that first scene where, where, where the group is kind of getting together for, I think the first time. Um, and, and then just some of the, the back and forth, like the, the, the chair force, uh, you know, comment and some of the other like different right. things, you're able to really capture the shit talk and the, like the culture 
really, really well to the point where it was, it was, um, like, I hate to say that it was so authentic because that, that might sound condescending of like, Oh, you know, you, you made an authentic film, but like you really did capture those. And even you, you're playing a Marine who smokes cigarettes, which I, I don't imagine that, that you as a, as a uh, special forces operator were, was, uh, was smoking cigarettes and all that stuff, but you kind of like captured all these little moments that felt very like real to the characters, but then also just kind of like real to the experience, even though it was, kind of like an amalgam of, of all these different things. Um, what was it like to, to bring different people with different experiences together to try to tell a, a story that um, could kind of capture that culture, both generally and specifically? Does that make sense? Is that a clear question? And I, and I ramble that. No, no. I mean, yeah. I, first of all, I did smoke, but only on deployments. Yeah, and I right. did it because the locals were doing it. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but I can, uh, tell, I can tell, you know, when you, when you see an actor who's like, you're like, oh, yeah, no, that guy smoked cigarettes before. He knows what he's doing. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. It didn't make me feel good. I'll tell you that, yeah. man. But yeah, because I, I didn't have this. I had real ones. And so, you know, you go through a scene where you got to bang out 10 of them and you're not feeling, you're not feeling too hot afterwards. Yeah. Um, but it's all good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So wait, sorry, sorry. So what was the, so I just, I, I, I was rambling a little bit, but the question just being like, how, how did you crack? Cause it, it, you, it felt authentic. The film feels authentic, both kind of like generally to the, to the veteran experience. And obviously I wasn't a, a, a sailor or a Marine or a soldier. I was an airman, but like, it still felt very uh, real and authentic to, to my experience the way that I connect with athletes and other veterans but also just kind of generically that way as well. Like what was it, what was the writing process like? And then what was the directing process like to kind of bring those things together and make sure that it, it felt real and authentic and not just kind of put on. Well, a lot of the, you know, uh, Garrett wrote the first uh, draft and cause I didn't even know how, where to start. And we wrote the first draft and I, it'd be funny to read the first draft now because it's so different than what we came up with, but, or than what we ended up shooting. But, uh, you know, the dynamics were similar in the, the kind of the general arc, but it's just the beats and the plot points and how we got to where we got is completely different. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think it was, uh, first of all, going to MVP sessions. I mean, for those that don't know, Merging Vets and Players, that's what MVP stands for. It's a real nonprofit organization that I co-founded with Jay Glazer about eight years ago. And going to those huddles and listening to what people talk about and what comes up, that's what really the story, like that's where all these quotes came from, for instance, like not, all of this stuff is things that I've either heard or conversations I've had, or, you know, just people I've met from the veteran athlete community. And, and, and a lot of it came from their literal mouths in the film. Like those actors are kind of telling some of their own stories. Um, but then also, like, as we were, every time we would, would go through a draft, I would, probably to the point of annoyance, I would send it to a good amount of people, people that I trusted, people that I knew, understood story and understood uh, this story, you know, at least so, at some level, and had them provide notes. And I was like, please don't be polite. Please just be brutally honest. Any little thing, just make a note. And 
then I can go through and review it. So then I would take, you know, those 10 sets of notes or whatever it was from people. And I would kind of read through, you know, what do I agree with? What do I not? Um, how can I flesh out this idea? What are their questions they keep having? Um, so what's not making sense? And then just like hammering through that draft after draft after draft um, until you get to this place where it's like, for the most part, people are reading it and they're like, this is pretty good. You know, it, it works. It makes sense. It's like, I like the, I like the way the characters communicate and the worlds they live in. And, you know, I think this is, because it's hard to make any prophecy. It's hard to make any movie, but really when the story involves a lot of, a lot of talking and a lot of conversations, which ours does, like there is absolutely action and all these things that happen, um, choices they, the characters make, but a lot of it is, um, talking about the past, you know, that's, that's a lot of what happens in the movie. That's hard to, I think that's often hard to, uh, make, to, to, to captivate and maintain an audience when you're doing, when you're telling stories like that, when there's not, you know, they always say show, don't tell as much as you can. And we tried to as much as we could. I think we did that at some level, but there's also quite a bit of exposition that has to be, um, that fleshed out and so at some level these characters do have to just kind of tell their stories we didn't have the budget to go shoot flashbacks of you know convoys and football games and things like that right it's uh it, it's really got to just kind of come from their mouths and so that was one of the bigger challenges in, in, in writing this thing and keeping it moving and trying to keep it under 100 pages and all the all the things that you're trying to do when you're writing a, a low budget story yeah, I mean, I think you, I think you, you nailed it though with like with, with the performances, right? It's not just the words on the page, but you also got these guys to come in and and tell versions of their own stories and and and, and impact it with the performance and you know so many of those scenes with with the handheld camera and all that stuff. Not to nerd out too much on the filmmaking side of it, but I mean, I think that's why it works, right? Like it, it feels very, very much like we're in the room. And so right. when, when, when there is that exposition, as you're saying, it feels real because it feels like we're there. It's not like it's just, you know, a static frame on sticks where you're just like, all right, now talk, right. You know, you're kind of in there. And it felt, it felt that way. Exactly. Agreed. Um, okay. So I want to be respectful of your time here. I want to finish up talking about, you know, something that, something that I've, I've noticed with, with, um, you know, the DOD and, and the VA and the federal government right now and, and veterans are, are very unhappy with the way that we are, uh, you know, not being helped. Right. And so a lot of people uh, want to um, complain, for lack of a better word, of, of like what what these different agencies and organizations can do for us. Uh, and then there's there's you and, and Jay who are like, well, let's just start one ourselves and solve the problem kind of where we're at. Um, what's the what's the culture of MVP like in that way? Like what, what, what's the, what's the, the, the problem solving approach and, and what's the growth trajectory of the organization look like as you, as you scale? Yeah. I mean, like at MVP, we, first of all, then this is a Nate thing too, and a J thing. And, and a lot of people's thing is like, you, you, you can only control what you can control. Of course. Like, yeah. There are certain things in life that you just are out of your hands and you can let those things bother you and complain about them and be frustrated with them. And you have every right to be, but they're not going to change by simply having those feelings. And so, you know, what can you control? What can you do to 
fix the problem, to alleviate stress, to help people out, to help yourself out. Like there are still steps you can take, things you can do. At the same time, like we would love to and aim to work more and more with the VA and and, and it's the VA is complicated, man. Like people, other people don't, they, they, it, it gets a bad rap. And of course it can be very frustrating, but they are servicing tens of millions of vets. And, um, th- there's, you know, it's, it's, it's a government agency or organization or whatever you want to call it. So like at some level, there's going to be a ton of bureaucracy and red tape and things are going to move very slowly. And you're not always going to get people working there that are excited about working there. <laughs> You know, and it's a tough job when most of the people that come in to a hospital generally, but especially because of the VA, like they're not, they don't want to be there. You know what I mean? They're not excited. It's like going to the DMV. Like who wants to go to the DMV? Nobody. Um, so with that, you're going to have people working there often that deal with people who are upset, <laughs> you know, and frustrated and in pain. And, and then that wears on you. So like there's this really difficult relationship to, to maintain, but it's super important because they do a lot for us. And we have to thank, first of all, our Vietnam vets for fighting for that because of what we get today, you know, from the VA, it, it is because of those, uh, of, of men and women like that from that era who didn't get the services they needed and who didn't get treated very well when they came back. So it has come a long way, but it's still got a long way to go. Um, and with that, we have a lot of committed, dedicated veteran service organizations. MVP is one of thousands um who do everything they can to help us coming back so like i'm saying that is our responsibility too to take that piece of the pie and do that like we can't just both whine about it you know why it's not coming from the va uh why you know and, and we can like absolutely we should be working towards fixing that and trying to help them get to that place but at the same time if we're not doing it ourselves we're just expecting someone else to fix the problem it's not going to get fixed it's just the way that's the way the world works so we just have to keep that keep that in mind and trust me like we we work with the nfl for instance right that's another big organization who you know has the the potential to make create huge change and they do um but through different steps of bureaucracy and things like that over the last couple of years uh you know they haven't been able to contribute to mvp like they used to and so it's like it's a weird relationship because we work with a lot of NFL teams and players and, you know, we have a lot of respect from uh, people, I mean, from Roger Goodell and people all throughout the NFL offices. But at the same time, there's this, um, you know, these levels that these grants have to go through. And if we're not, if we get to a certain level and we get stuck because it's hard to, to it's hard to gauge MVP's impact because of what we do in a mental health space. It's very hard you know, numbers wise and analytics wise to like quantify that. Um, We get sort of, you know, we get sort of stuck there and like, so what are we going to do? Are we just going to like complain about it? Are we just going to say F the NFL, you know, and like abandon that and just cause a problem? Like, no, that's not going to fix anything. We're going to do what we can to like realign and make sure that our data is um, becomes more important and that we're managing that. And we're not just focused solely on, you know, veteran wellness and athlete wellness, which is important, but like we have to do these other things too, logistics wise, so that we can get that funding. So like we've got to flex and adjust. And and so we're doing that right now. And the same kind of things go with working alongside the VA um, or, you know, leveraging, utilizing the VA 
and, and what they do have to offer because they do they do a lot and they do have a lot of, um, of assets that you know we can we can work with yeah i think i think that's really well said I, I, i'm you you kind of tied everything into it that that i mean I, I i couldn't agree more obviously not having the experience that you have working with the nfl but but recognizing that these organizations a are made up of human beings right um and and to your point those human beings have thoughts and feelings and good days and bad days and they have different desires um and and different approaches to doing things and then also understanding that there's a system and there's rules and there's um you know ways of working and and all of this and and then just also understanding that you know some organizations are designed to do certain things right like the 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 DOD and each branch of the military is designed specifically to indoctrinate members into it it is not designed to help uh, members flourish outside of it, right? And so there's this kind of certain uh, feeling I think we all might tend to have where we're like, well, you know, they owe this to me because of all the things that I did for them. And it's like, well, I mean, yeah, I, I understand that feeling, but it's also like, that's, that's you didn't sign up to get the, the benefits on the back end necessarily, you know, GI Bill and a couple other things notwithstanding. You know, we signed up to, to serve and to do the job and to go to the places they sent us not not exactly to um, you know to have the best kind of healthcare or such on on the on the back end, and you also tied in another piece I think is huge, which is you know we need to be thankful for what we do have and those that fought uh, for the benefits that we do have who had like next to no benefits before then, and so that's like we're standing on the shoulders of, of giants in in that sense, um, and and I, I think thinking about all of those things as as complex systems operated by humans can really help us understand where we fit in and what we can do at our level and kind of where we are. No, absolutely. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's the veteran entitlement is a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, yeah. And I'm not saying that, yeah, most, most of us don't exercise it too much, but like, Hey, I'll be the first to admit that, you know, when I get, when something doesn't go my way, like man, I'm, 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 I've got my hand, my itchy trigger finger on that veteran card and that sure. veteran ID card, ready to pull it, you know, yep. uh, if I need to. <laughs> but like, but it doesn't always work, and 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 also sometimes like there's like, yeah, sorry, we just don't, we can't help you. It's like, all right, fair enough, you know. Yep. No one, no one, no one owes you. No one owes us. Um, we've got to, uh, we got to recognize that. And, and, uh, and, and just like you said, we volunteered, at least in our generation, we all volunteered right. and, uh, you know, took the oath to defend the constitution. It wasn't take the oath to get taken care of for the rest of my life. Um, right. so, yeah, <laughs> yep. No, no doubt. Well said. Um, cool. All right. I want to be respectful of your time. So I've been ending the podcast with, with, a, a an, an open-ended question. Um, and the, the question is what's on your heart and what's on your mind for our community. It could be a piece of advice, something you want to get off your chest or something you want to reiterate from here, but what's on your heart? What's on your mind? Oh man. I mean, a lot of things. Um, but you know, I, I think as we roll into 2024 and another election year <laughs> and there seems to be a ton of question marks and it, 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 it also seems over the last, you know, eight, 10, 12 years, whatever it is, we've, become more and more uh, divided and, and, uh, and frustrated with one another. And, and you know, I, with us 
also all seeming, seemingly to, to struggle with finding good uh, candidates for these elections, at least at higher positions, people that we actually trust and people that understand us and speak our language. Um, so just as much as you can, stay positive and stay communicative with people in your community that don't necessarily agree with you and, and vice versa. And, and just try to find solutions that, that do work for everybody and so that everybody feels good about that. And not just politically, I think just generally uh, in our lives. And no matter who's in office, that has no bearing on how you treat your neighbor. That's up to you. You get to choose that, just like we talked about earlier. You, uh, there's a lot you can control. Um, and most of that has to do with, with you, probably all of that has to do with you. So, um, remember that and, you know, let's try to flip things around here <laughs> this next year and, you know, get back heading in, in a, uh, in a positive direction where we, we all enjoy life together. Man, that's a, yeah, that's a really great answer. It, it, it um, you know, gets to something I've been thinking about and talking about and writing about recently, which is, you know, I, I, I grew up, kind of grew up in the era of, you know, that we have a leadership crisis in this country and you even alluded to it, right? Where like, we would like better candidates to choose from it at higher office, maybe even at local offices too, and, and everywhere in between. Um, but, but one thing that I haven't heard people say, um, and I'm glad to have heard you just say it is that, uh, is, we need to be we need to be better citizens. We can't just we can't just be expecting our leaders to hand down solutions to us and tell us what right. to do. We need to be better citizens, and that starts with each of us as individuals, and then our families and our communities, whether those are communities we live in or the communities that we build through organizations like MVP and and the thousands right. of others you mentioned. So, well said. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, brother. Well, listen, I appreciate your time. Glad to have had you back. And uh, this will be this will be live next week. So we'll we'll throw some content up on on uh, on Instagram and LinkedIn and um, take the conversation there. That's perfect. Thank you, Carrie. I appreciate it, brother. Thanks, Nate. Chat soon, man.